Father. Thank you, Jesus. To all the kids that were running up here, can the parents come and see me after the service? Oh, so they're all the pastor's kids, sorry. Kids can be released, please. Go, go, go. Have fun. You can be seated, everyone. <laughs> you right? Luca, how are you, mate? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone doing well? Happy Father's Day. You all good? No one checking the footy scores, please. What's the score, by the way? <laughs> As if St. George was ever going to make it, please. Anyway. Anyway. We're good? The kids are upstairs. Please don't get, forget to get your kids at the end of the service. I um, hope you enjoyed your day today. Sometimes these sort of occasions are really good for some and very sad for others. But we've got to know, guys, that we don't, this is not our home, amen? Heaven is our place that we're going, and it's not just heaven, it's where Jesus is. Jesus says, wherever I am, you will also be. For in my father's house, there are many rooms, many mansions, many places to live. And um, I remember sharing in Brazil, like Brazil's pretty busted up over there with families. And, and I was sharing that over there and says that the glory of the father is how many sons and daughters he has. And I remember going to Lebanon back in um, 2004. I was 24, single. <laughs> uh, was, you know. Went there to see the sights. And every, every house I saw was like, you want to get married? I said, no. Every house. And they lined up. I said, uh, well, you're here now. You might as well get married. Like, what, am I going to buy uh, pizza? Or you're here now. You might as well have a pizza. Like, but when I went to Lebanon, I went to my father's, uh, my mum's, um, my, my, my grandfather, my mum's brother's house. And it was interesting because in the village and in, those, in, in the Middle East, they don't have a lot of land and, you know, it's not like here, we just move and buy and... And my father and my grandfather had a house and my uncle, where, who we stayed with, had a house. It was a decent-sized house. Most of them lived in caves, thank God, because I lived on the mountain. And, but the house was pretty modern and he built a house and I said to him, well, who lives downstairs? He goes, well, that's, that was your grandfather's house. And when I got married, which is my uncle, he would build another house and more rooms on top. And the, the house has got a flat concrete roof, if you've seen pictures from the Middle East. And he says, now, now when your, your cousin gets married, or your, your daughter, whoever, they build another level on the house. And then the higher the house, the more kids, the more people are getting married. And it was like a part of the glory of the father is on how many rooms he's got. In other words, the bigger the house, the more he... It, meant, it didn't mean that he was rich, it meant that his family was with him and it was growing. And Jesus was saying, I go to the Father to prepare a place for you. In other words, I know you've been taught mansions, and you're going to get a big mansion in heaven. No, a chicken coop's big in heaven. Like, it's not about having something big and rich. It's about you being in the heart of the Father, Jesus preparing a place for us, so one day we'll be with Him in the Father's house. And the glory of the Father will be in how many sons and daughters He has at home. So every person that comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus adds another room to the Father's house. Amen? You understand that? Yeah. So 
we understand that God is preparing a place for us. Jesus came. He says, I'll go to prepare a place for you. And when I return, I'll take you to where I'm supposed to be. And it's a picture of a marriage in the Old, in the, uh, old Testament or the Semitic Jew. They would get engaged. Then, the, the, then the, the, the groom would go and prepare a house. And when he was finished, he'd come back. And then say, now it's time to get married because he's prepared a house for the, for the bride. But she doesn't know when he's coming back because it, it depends on how long it takes him to prepare a house. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? You don't know the hour I'll come back. But be ready. That's why the ten virgins, five were foolish and five were wise. Some were ready for the second coming of Christ or the groom, sorry. And some knew he was coming but weren't ready. See, our job is to be ready at and occupy till he comes. Not to know when he's coming. Everyone's interested in the Antichrist. Everyone's interested in the last days. What's happening? I'm interested in doing the will of the Father. I'm going about my Father's business. Jesus said, I only, get, I only do what I see my Father do. And today I want to just share a little bit about how good God is. So, well, you, know, you don't know what I've been through. I don't care. Sorry, I do care. But, why should you stay there? I can tell you my story. I can tell you what happened to me when I was 8 years old. I can tell you what happened to me when I was 12 years old. I can tell you all the things that happened to me. And it'll make you sad and you'll cry and you'll go, wow. But that doesn't change your life. Only the testimony of Jesus that changes your life. I can tell you stories about bad things and good things. But ultimately, what am I going to tell you about today? How good the Father is. He is so good. And we often say to ourselves, how do we know the Father? That was a question asked to Jesus. You, talk, you keep talking about the Father. And Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All this time I've been with you, and you still ask me who the Father is? Jesus is the image of the Father in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. We'll just read that. So I want to lay a... I don't want to preach at you today. I just want to speak to you from the heart of a father to, to, to a children. Because if we don't understand God as father. See, some people understand God as creator. Almighty. Sovereign. He is all those things. But he wanted to reveal himself as a loving father. That's why the Jews couldn't understand that concept of God. That's why they hated Jesus. He would come. He came in power and authority. But he didn't come in power and authority like they thought he would come. Or the, the, he didn't wield his authority and his dominance like a religious Pharisee would. Because in those days, if you had power and authority, you were treated like a king. Hierarchy. He came as a lowly man, humble, yet God was moving through him, power and might. People were getting raised from the dead. People were getting healed. He says, what authority did you get? Where did you get this authority from to speak like that? Because people were shocked on when he spoke, things happened. And so Jesus is walking around in this power and authority in meekness and every kept every time he says i go back to my father i only do what i see my father do i go about my father's business the father and i are one he keeps repeating this concept over and over again so in colossians chapter 1 verse 19 to 20 says for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell And, be, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
having made peace through the blood of the cross. It pleased the Father that in Him all fullness dwelled. In other words, Jesus walked in the fullness of God. When He was manifested as a human being through the virgin birth, He was a man. He was fully man and fully God. He wasn't half man or half God. Fully man and fully God. And the, and, and, and the fullness of God dwelt in Him. And if we go on to Colossians, it says, He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He's the visible of the invisible God. So all things were created through Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was manifested on the earth through the virgin birth. But Jesus existed in the eternity in the Word. He was the Word that became flesh. Now how does this loving God, who most of the old world considered a tyrant, a judge, how does God reveal himself to man? You can go to any nationality and race. Go back through history. I challenge you to do it. Go back and see what they believe, even up to today. And they all believe in a sovereign being or an external being or a, the earth is a God and we are God. You hear all these things, but they all have a perception of who God is and he has to be appeased. In other words, he's angry. And you've got to satisfy his wrath by doing certain things. True? Name me a religion that you don't have to do some sort of sacrifice to please the God. Or how many prayers you have to pray. Or how many things you have, or how many hoops you have to jump through. When God called Abraham, he said to him, go. Where am I going? Just go. Abraham came out of the Chaldeans. Don't get excited. All right, yeah, Syrians. That's not the Chaldeans that you came from, all right? Relax. We're Chaldeans. You know, they're all demon worshippers. Are no, you happy now? <laughs> but in those days, the, the Chaldeans were demonic worshippers. And to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son was no big feat because that's what they were doing anyway. So think about that. that was, he pulled him out of a place. And the word Chaldean in the Hebrew means the place of... The, I've done a study on it ages ago. I can't remember exactly. But their rituals is all paganism. So when Abraham left there, he had to leave his father and leave his family and go and follow God. God was going to show him a side of God that he never knew. Because it's interesting, if, if he's used to people sacrificing their children to keep the gods happy, when he asked for his son, isn't it interesting when Abraham was walking there and he was thinking about this, who's watched my only son? It's a pretty good way they, they picture that movie really good. And he's walking. So now he's walking up with Isaac. Isaac's his son. He says, go and put him on the altar. Now, for many years, we've always believed that Isaac was a baby. Then later I started reading, no, this guy was carrying wood. So he must have been a teenager or a, at least enough to carry wood. But history tells us now through the Jewish history, he was at least 30 to 37 years old. So that changes the whole story because Abraham was a man who was nearly 100 years old. And now he's going to kill his son on an altar you don't think a 37-year-old man could fight an old man? and He could. But when he understood what was happening, Abraham was going to give up his son, and Isaac is willing to die, if that's what God wanted. That's the picture of the cross, amen? And we're now walking up the hill with the wood. Isaac says, Dad, we got, we got the wood and to do the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? Imagine walking up and going, where's the sacrifice, Dad? His dad goes, oh, minor detail, uh, you're the sacrifice. 
But you look at this picture. There was two guys with him, two servants. And he says to them, Abraham, look, he stops at the mountain. He goes, we're going to go up to worship God. The first time worship is mentioned in the Bible is when he's going to give up his son on the altar. He says, we'll go up. He says, but we'll be back. Read the scripture. What faith did he have? He says, we'll be back. Because killing the kid was something he's seen every day of his life in the pagan tradition. But no one's ever raised from the dead. He was going to ask God to raise him. So he takes him up, and we know what happens. He's about to kill him, and the Lord says, Abraham, don't touch that. And if you read in the context, God had, an angel had to shout at him and say, don't touch the child. And there's a ram caught in the bush. There was a ram, his head caught in the thorns of the bush. He says, now he'll put him on the altar. Put that ram on the altar. What does that speak of? Jesus. He says, you're going to offer up your son, but your son can't change the world. But I'm going to offer up my son, and he'll change the whole world. It's interesting that ram's head was caught in the thorns in the bush. Jesus' head had thorns on his head. He was crucified. He took the place. He says, Abraham, now, now I know you fear me. See, fear is the beginning of knowledge in God. Fear in the Old Testament was, I'm scared of God. Fear there in that is that I know that you revere me as God and you will do everything I say. And because you did that, I'm not going to take your son. I'll give you mine. When Abraham comes down with his son, and it's interesting that Abraham is called the father of faith because he believed God and the Bible says it was accounted to him as righteous. In other words, it was put on his account. But we know that in New Testament that we can only be righteous through a gift of faith through Jesus Christ. Amen? So he was accounted to him as righteous. In other words, one day, Abraham, because you believed me by faith, I'm going to put it on an account. And when one day when that rural ram, lamb comes and dies, He'll pay it in full and you can cash in and you can walk into the kingdom of heaven because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 1 John 3, 1. What does father mean? I could go around the room now. I'll do a, I'll do a, I'll do a rabs. Let's work the room. <laughs> and no one gets it right. <laughs> I don't know what he's for for it. Like, don't tell me about it. Father... You can look at um, the dictionary, you can look at different translations of what father means. Jesus said that do not call anyone father for you only have one father in heaven. But then he says, honor your mother and father. So is he saying dishonor your rule father? And it's not talking about any of that. The word father in the Hebrew can mean obviously a father, a nurturer, a leader, a head of a household. Also the word in this context, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it means the one that creates all things. A father in that context, he's talking about Everything that is birthed out of the Father. Do not call anyone creator, for you only have one creator. Are you with me? The Father creates all things. Look what he says here. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You see, if we don't make God as our Father, you'll make the world your Father. Someone's going to be your father because someone's birthing something in there. Every day there's something new coming out. Someone's birthing something. Have you heard of, he's the father of faith. He's the father of rap music. He's the father of, uh, uh, of this organization. What are they saying? He's not saying that they're giving birth to something. They're saying they have started something and they, they've been acquainted with that start. In other words, um, if you have a look at, say, uh, 
Elvis Presley, he was the, they call him the king of, uh, of rock. The father of, he's the one that established that. The word here, father, is talking about who establishes something new, who births something new. In other words, Jesus used this same word for father to the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil. And the devil doesn't create. He's not God. And the devil doesn't uh, get into people's world and have children. He's talking about the originator of sin and rebellion is the devil and you're of him because you act exactly like him. He says that you're of the father, the devil. Here, he's saying how beautiful and how the manner of love God has upon us that he shall call us children of God. But we can't receive that from the world because they don't know him, but we know him. And the quicker we lay down our life for the Lord and to make God our father, the quicker the devil gets out of our life. Anyone here? See, Jesus only came to restore man back to his rightful place. Jesus, contrary to what people say, he did not come. He did not come here to start a new religion. He did not come to restore the old religion. He did not come even to defeat the devil. See, the motive of Jesus wasn't to defeat the devil, although he did. His motive was to reconcile us back to the Father. But the means to do that was to defeat the enemy. Without that, we have nothing. See, God's got a plan from the beginning. The Bible says that the lamb was slayed before the foundation of the world. Even before man was created, God knew man would fall. And a loving father or a father that knows what's happening with his children, for example, would know he doesn't just have a plan for life, he has a plan for exit strategy. He always has a plan to know what to do in the right, at the right time for the right reason. If things go wrong. Because God is all-knowing. And he already made an exit way. So God's willing to create man and know that they're going to fall. Because God is not making creatures that are controlled like a, like a robot. God gave you free will. So true love is that you make a decision to love. Not if I can make you love. I can scare you into the kingdom and it works. I can give you all the blessings that the kingdom gives you, and it works. But ultimately, that's not true love. True love is that when you rightfully come to that place to submit your life to the Father through the Son, that's true love. Imagine if I came in every day and said, Janet, show me the bank account. How much did you spend today? $2.50, huh? Three ply, huh? Three ply, huh? Go to IGA. It's two ply for $1.50. And she's scared to go to buy three ply anymore. Or if I come and I put rules and regulations on her, she's, she's honourable, she submits to me, she looks after my kids, but she only does it out of fear because she's scared I'm going to do something. Is that love? That's not love. So what do we call God that? Why do we say that God does that to us? Stop laughing. Or I'm watching you. <laughs> he's, a, he's a two ply guy too, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Tonight, if I, if I do nothing else but to change your mindset about God. See, some have put God as a judge that every time you move, he's going to whip you. And sometimes God, they've put God as a genie in a bottle. Whatever I say, he's going to do because that's the way it is. And they're both wrong. The church went from hell and 
fire and brimstone. Everyone's going to hell if you don't do this. Swing the other way. That God is love. He can't send you to hell. And they're both wrong. That the scripture, which they're trying to pull out of schools now and pull out of the world, and even some churches said, you know, the Bible is not the final authority of the churches. If you take the word of God out, you have nothing. Trust me. And he's trying to show us something here. That he's revealed himself through the Son. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking. If you go through all Paul's letters, all the epistles, he starts off like that, more or less. Always starts off with grace and mercy to you. Always, it's always a blessing to you. He doesn't come, even if he's going to rebuke you, he comes and says he loves you and you're honorable. And then you wax you, you know. I thought my dad said, come here. Oh no. So we're just watching here. You know, it's funny, Arab parents, they tell you to pick your weapon. The stick or the belt? Which one is it? Thanks for the choices, Dad. <laughs> blessed be the Father. I don't know why I went there. But blessed be the Father. God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. That we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble. With the comfort which we, are, which we ourselves have are comforted by God. The God of mercy brings us comfort in our troubles and tribulations. Some people say, God's not only in my life because I'm going through tribulation. Or, why should I go through all this tribulation? God's not real and they move away from God. And the reason is that we live in this fallen world. We live in a world that's not perfect. Contrary to what people say, this world is fallen under the arm of the enemy. But we don't live in this world. We live in the world, but not of the world. Here he's telling us that he's the, he comforts us in our tribulation, our trials, our disasters, our, all the things that we've gone through. Things that when things happen in life, sometimes that you think that's the end. Like how do I move any further than this place? And God says, but I'll stand there and comfort you. The problem is we've got self-seeking, selfish Christians. Put your hand up. No, don't put your hand up. <laughs> because he does, look what he says. That we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble. What did Jesus say to his disciples? I'm going to go. And persecution's coming. And get ready. They're going to hate you. They're going to throw you out of the synagogues. He went, all these things are going to happen to me. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Listen, think about that for a second. Metaphor, I'm going to give you a job. Your job is you're going to get whipped. You're going to get bashed. You're going to, get, you're going to starve some days. You might be shipwrecked. Yeah? You don't want to do it? All right. That's your, that's your resume. He tells you all these things. He says, but be of good cheer. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. Go. He says, wait, wait, wait. wait. Time out, God. Whoa, whoa. Time, time out, time out. So you want me to go tell everyone the good news well, I'm in jail. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Don't worry. They're chasing me down the street with spears. You want me to do it? Yeah, just go. Yeah. It's a minor detail. Just go. This is what he's telling his disciples. See, you weren't saved for yourself. You're not saved so you can have a nice little comfortable lifestyle. The more comfortable you get, you know the devil's sitting in your lounge room and you don't even know he's there. That's a teaching for another day. But he says, if you're truly comforted by the God... You will go and comfort others. See, that's what a true father does. A father sees the need 
and goes to try and meet that need. Our Father in heaven loves you. He did not withhold his best. He didn't just send a high-ranking angel to come. Because he sent prophets. He sent men of God through the Old Testament. He even sent angels. But he goes, but the best is I send my son to come and die for you, to take that place, to remove all that. that what I couldn't give him on the cross, he died and took all the written law against me. Every thought, every sin. If there's one thing I know, there's two things in life. They say there's two things that are 100% in life. Death and taxes. There's three things. Death, taxes and sin. God, we've all done them. You see, for me, I'm not part of this world. Do I want to live? Do I want to raise a family? Yeah, but I'm not part of this world. The more I die on myself, the more I realize this world has nothing for me. I want to live in the Father's presence. Amen. See, when you know that you're, He's got your back, you can go through anything. And I'm not taking away from pain and suffering. I've been there. But I'm not, don't live there. See, don't live there. Live in the place of victory, amen. So we, are, we have the right to be called children of God. Why? Because he can comfort us at every time. See, that's a true father. And I don't know what your perception of God is, but today it has to change. Because my compass, my detector, that points to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. Someone needs to know that Jesus loves them. Not by theory, not by what your parents have said, not by what you've read. You need to know in your inner man that Jesus loves you. Religion will only put an obstacle for Jesus. I'll have Jesus on the wall, have Jesus in a book, have Jesus everywhere, but there's no Jesus. Says the Bible calls it. It's a form of godliness. There's a form of godliness. It's, wow, it sounds godly, sounds spiritual, but it denies the power. The power of the resurrection in you. The power of the cross in you. The power of the the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three verse nine. I'm giving you a bit of scripture today just to get it in your spirit. Can I tell you, there was no concept of fellowship with God in the Old Testament. When I say Old Testament, there was no concept of having fellowship with God in a personal relationship through the old Semitic lifestyle of the earth. You go to any religion, every family, every culture. It's always about pleasing God. Always about uh, sacrificing to God. It's all about trying to make Him not angry all the time. True? Go through. But Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3, look what he says here. And to make all... Can we go back to verse 8? Sorry. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Stop. The Gentiles as anyone who wasn't a Jew. So all people that were outside the Jewish covenant were called Gentiles. Isn't it interesting? Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in the priesthood. He'd done all the religious stuff he needed to do. He learned the Old Testament off by heart by the age of 12. So for me, when he came to know Christ, I would have thought he was the perfect man to go and preach to the Jews. He knows their book off by heart. He was one of them. He, he was a scholar. He was, he, was, he was the man's man. And God says, oh, I'll go to the Gentiles. Then he sends Peter, a fisherman, to the 
hierarchy. Because the father knows what's going on, amen? Here he says, he, 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 he gave me the grace that was given to me to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Next verse. And to make all see what is the fellowship. That word fellowship, you could say communion. You could say community. You could say relationship. It's the same word. When we come into fellowship, it just means communion. To make all, uh, all see what is the fellowship or the communion or the personal relationship of the mystery. Now, there's a mystery here. Hang on. He says mystery. Why does he say that? Which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So God's revealing himself through Jesus Christ. We think he was born just 2,000 years ago from a virgin. He was. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in fellowship with each other before creation. So how is this God who encompasses all things? All things were made through him. Nothing lives outside of him. He, he holds all things within him. Yet this, one, this God that holds all things, created all things within him, lives in me and lives in you. How? See, if God shrinks, the, the universe will cease to exist. So I'm in this building, yeah? Everyone in the building? Everyone's in the building? But if we all walked outside, could the building come in us? No. We cease being in the building when we go outside. But God, picture this is God, that he can manifest himself in us through his Holy Spirit. So he can be in things and on things and on all things. So this God reduces himself to living you and me. That's why Jesus says, if, you, if my words abide in you, Listen to this. If my words, what words is he talking about? The words of the scripture. His words. And you believe in them, guess what? I live in you. And my father and I will come and sup with you. What a promise, man. So the mystery he's talking about, what's the mystery? That from time began, there was three people having communion, fellowship. The father, the son, the Holy Spirit. The word, Yahweh. The word of God, Jesus. And the spirit of God. All had communion with one another. And it's interesting to know. God says, but we want a family. So he manifests us and sends Jesus to represent him on earth. To deal with sin and to open up the veil of heaven so the Holy Spirit can live in you. Because no one was able to receive the Holy Spirit and live with them until Jesus went to the cross. We live in a great time, people. Do I understand all things? No. Do I claim to know everything? Absolutely not. But I know one thing. God is real. And his son is real. And his spirit is real. Because it bears witness with my spirit. That we are the children of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 2.7. Am I going good for time? Hallelujah. I will declare I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son, and today I have begot you. Speaking of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John in the water? And heaven opened up. Heaven opened up. What was said? Who knows? Come on, George. Don't no, no, Google it. Straight away, man. How quick did you Google it? I'm going to go this side. Weeby. 
this is my, this is my beloved son. I'm hoping he's a mate. He's my beloved son. Yeah, that's right. We're, yep. Next person here. All the time I spend with him. David, come on. Come on, let's get the Chaldeans to work. Come on. All right, yalla. Uh, I'm going to stand up, the Chaldeans. Uh, tell me. This is my beloved son and home I'm well pleased. Beautiful. Hallelujah. And he barely speaks English. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The next time Jesus appears on the mountain of transfiguration. Who can I pick on now? I'm going to go pick on someone. I'm, 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 I'm in the mood. <laughs> Jesus appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and, Eli- uh, and Elijah is there. And God speaks what was said. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And what was the last bit he said? Listen to him. Do you know what that represents, the transfiguration? He had Peter, James, and John. Correct? Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks for serving, Joe. Uh, Peter, James, and John. (laughs) And they transfigure, and there's Elijah, there's Moses, Moses, and there was Jesus. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And then Jesus represents... So look what happens. What did Jesus say? The law and the prophets speak about me. Remember he says, if you know the law and the prophets, they spoke about me. So who's there? The law and the prophets are transfigured. Peter says, St. Peter says, oh man, should we even be here? This is amazing. Can we build three tents? What he was saying, can we build three altars? Three places of worship? This is amazing. And you know what? He says, God speaks. This is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And a cloud came down and Moses and Elijah disappeared. And guess who's standing there? Jesus. And he says, what he was saying was, Moses and Elijah only spoke about Jesus. You don't need an altar for Moses. You don't need an altar for for, uh, Elijah. You need to make an altar for Jesus because he's the only one that's going to save you. The Old Testament reveals what the New Testament... Sorry, I said it wrong. <laughs> the Old Testament conceals, reveals. Thanks. I'll sit down. You want to take over? Uh, you give them an inch, I take a mile, these people. I'll go over here. This is what happens when you live in Greenacre. All right. No respect. All right. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, please. Another one offended. I made a joke about a vegan once. I was joking, everyone. And they left, never came back. So please come back. I was only joking. I don't like vegetarians. But no joking. All right. So the New Testament is the revelation of what God spoke in the Old Testament. But look what God said. Did He say, "That's my anointed Son from heaven"? That the word? no. He said, "This is my beloved Son. This is the Son I love. Listen to Him." See, if you don't listen to Him, you have a form of godliness and you deny the power. That's why in the last days we'll be in Antichrist spirit. I don't, I'm not interested in the Antichrist himself. But the, there's an Antichrist spirit, anti the anointed one. That you take away, they'll say Jesus, they'll put him on a float even. But that's not the Jesus that we serve. The anointed one died on the cross. He's the one that breaks the yoke. He's the one that breaks the chains. He's the anointed one, the Messiah of Israel. 
and he's our Messiah. And he stood in the gap for us. But you know what? He didn't just do something for us and says, now you owe me. You know what he says? Let me live with you. And let me give you the Holy Spirit and let me train you to do what you're meant to do. You see, I got touched by the Lord 20 odd, 21 years this September. And guess what? I've never stopped preaching the gospel since I got saved. In my low times, in my high times. Don't, don't clap, don't clap. Because see, that's, no, no, that's what you should be doing. Don't clap. Because that doesn't, that's, what's, what's, what's that? What's that? Oh, I fed my kids today. <laughs> no, I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, okay, uh, oh, you know what? I gave my son three meals today, took him to school and brought him back. Shut up! That's what you're meant to do! You don't get what rewards for doing what's right. I don't want a reward to do what the Father. I do because He done for me. Because He comforted me in my heartbreak. I'm going to comfort others. And you know what? Some things happen I don't understand. But you know what? It doesn't stop me from keeping going. You know the worst thing the devil can do? Or what, what he tries to do? When you go through a disaster, they say, see, God doesn't love you. And you back off and you walk away. What a life in the pit of hell. Because this is my beloved son. Beloved means not just I love you. Beloved means I'm the one in love with you. And you know what he calls us? Beloved. God's in love with us. People say, I don't know how people get it wrong. They go, God doesn't love me. Let me give you a list. <laughs> I understand. I've asked those questions. Where, where are you, God, in my life? Why? That question, why, hurts a lot of people. I often heard one day I heard, why not? So I don't know every answer. But I'm not trying to work out God so I can love God. I'm trying to get to know God. Because I've been trying to work out my wife for 25 years. And she's been trying to work me out for 25 years. And we've come to the conclusion I haven't got anywhere closer than when I first started. <laughs> but I love her. Because I'm in relationship with her. I got out of that one quickly, eh? See, it's Father's Day. I can say whatever I want. I got until midnight. <laughs> but isn't it true? Try and work someone out. Come on, man. We're trying to work out God and why God does this thing and why things happen. And after I want to sit there and say, Lord, thank you. So you don't understand. Inside you, there's greatness. And I'm not talking about your, whatever God's called you to do in your world, in your life, he'll make it come to pass. But you have to come into submission to him. Because if I don't do it his way, guess why I'm doing it the father of the lies way. How many people have been taken out by the devil that we know? Because they believe the lie. Because it's birthed on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Our God is good, amen. amen. The cross speaks about it all. Someone was having a debate once and they said, they said, um, Many people die for a, uh, for a cause. Like Many people have faith and they die for their faith. Okay, it's true. But would many people die for a lie? Knowing it's a lie. So, so let me put it this way. They claim that Jesus' body, when he died on the cross, they put him in the tomb, that someone, he wasn't dead and they got him out of the tomb. All right. All right. But they saw him get whipped. So when they saw a resurrected Jesus, it's not resurrected, he just wasn't dead. But they saw him with no scars. The Bible says that he was whipped, his beard was ripped, thorns through his head, pierced. None of that was there, except for the hands and feet. So he was a mangulated human being, if you look at Scripture. He was mangulated. There was nothing of him. 
So if he didn't die, he should be walking around like a corpse. That's one problem. And if the disciples stole the body, why didn't the Pharisees arrest them? Okay? But then, if you look at that and say, okay, well, they got away with that. Greatest heist, greatest uh, trickery in history. All right. So you got all these disciples, 12 men, 11 men. And they all went to their death preaching the gospel. Every single one of them went and died for what they had seen, what they have heard. They weren't looking at a theory. They lived it. They saw him. And then they went in and preached the gospel. Thomas went to India and they tied his arms and his legs and they went and on horses and the horses went every different direction and they disem- dismembered his body. Matthew was skinned alive. I think it was Matthew skinned alive. Took him three days to die. Sorry, no, you'll be right. Three days to die. You know what they reckon? They recorded that everyone's like, where's your God now? And they're spitting on him. And you know what he did? Jesus loves you. You better repent as he's dying. I can go for a whole list of them. But my, my, what I'm trying to get at is that every single one of them died, not for what? Just the faith. They seen and heard. If there was one of them that didn't believe it, if there was one that, if that was a rot and they were lying, do you think they'd go to their death for a lie? No. They're claiming that they lied and they did all this and they went to their death for a lie. Get two people to do something. Remember at school you do something wrong? Don't tell anybody. First thing the teacher goes, what happens? You dob each other in straight away. Not even three seconds. Lebanese, they'll dob you in and make up different names that weren't even there just to get out of trouble. That's I'm telling you. But if you don't know it's a lie, you can die for it. But if you're saying that these guys, these 12 disciples, died and they knew it was a lie, they're greater men than ever. Because you don't think one of them would have said, all right, stop, under excruciating pain and say... You can't deny what the truth is. And these disciples, what would get them to get to that point? Let me go one step further. Paul, the apostle, who caused the first murder of a Christian, of a believer in Christ, who got converted, wrote most of the New Testament that we read, and he was in chains, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped many times, and he died for the faith. He never saw Jesus the way they saw him, because he knew what he had seen, what he had heard through the Holy Spirit, and he went to his death. So my question to you today is, what is your perception of God? God may never ask you to die for him. You may never ever be put in a position to be a martyr. I don't know. But you may never. Everyone's called for different things. Jesus conquered, and we are more than conquerors, amen? But people paid a price. Peter, St. Peter got crucified upside down. You know what he said to his wife? Die for Jesus like you lived for him. In other words, it's not our home. But I want to ask you a question today. All that sounds good, but what does that mean to you? Who is God to you today? Is he this long-headed beard judge who's ready to whack you every five minutes? Or is he a genie in a bottle ready to, if you rub three times and give $2.50 in a bucket, he's going to do what you want? Or is he a loving father that loves you so much and cares for you? And he will always tell you the truth. You know what? Someone who truly loves you tells you the truth. Not what you want to hear, what you need to hear. I thank God I had good people in my life that told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. Because what I wanted to hear would have destroyed my life today. But I learned to hear what the Spirit's saying and what people say, what the Word says. You know what? I stay on the track. You know what? It doesn't mean I didn't fall. It just means I stay on track and I know my track is still where I'm supposed to go. 
But there's one thing, you can never take away the love of the Father for your life. And tonight is the night to go back to that place of restoration. That restoration is pretty simple. To acknowledge that Jesus Christ had died for our sin. That a loving Father would say, listen, the only way to redeem this curse is to send the best. To become a curse and break the curse and rise again and give you new life. That's the gospel that we preach. Can we stand? That's the gospel we preach. I'm going to finish off this. This wasn't in my notes, but... John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 1. If you, if you can get it up there. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his hand, eyes to heaven and said, if you want to know what Jesus really prayed for us, the Our Father is the Lord's Prayer, yes. But that was pray like this. But this is what Jesus really prayed for us. Do you want to really know what he said? And receive this in your spirit? Look what he says. Here we are. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. We'll go through the whole lot, eh? Read it from here. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this eternal life that they may know Ready? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That you may know the only true God is Him and Jesus Christ you have sent. And then Jesus says this, I have glorified you on this earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world began. Jesus is saying here, I had glory with you in heaven. I didn't need to come to earth and die to please you to get glory. I already had glory. I was the divine with you. I created all things with you. But to know that you may know Him, the one and only true God, to you may know God as Father, I came down as a man and took their place and died and rose again. And he's saying here that there's only one true God. Why? Why could he say that? Because he was the only one that loves you. And that he would give his son for you. Tell me anyone else has sacrificed anything for you. Every other religion says, God, you've got to try and get to God. You've got to do this for God. And even the ones that don't have a religion are still making you sacrifice your life. Why? Oh, you need more faith to be an atheist. Let me tell you. But here he says, now I'll come to you. And I'll draw you unto me. And I'll lift you and put you in heavenly places. In other words, you can't get to God. No matter. You, they were killing children at the age of seven. They were sacrificing virgins. They were killing animals. They were doing all these things. But never appease God. Why? Only Jesus, the Son of God, can rip the veil from heaven. Take the curse. Remove it. And put His Spirit into your spirit. That's why He's the true God. It's only Him. 
I can talk about healing. I can talk about deliverance. I can talk about provision. They're all part of the kingdom. But the greatest gift of all is to know the Father. Say, if I leave this earth, I'm going to be with Him. That's the greatest gift. It's not a cop-out. It's truth. That they may know know you, the one and only true God. And Jesus Christ, you understand? And then He says in verse 9, look at this. Oh, Father, glorify me together with you, yourself, with the glory which I had before the world began. In other words, Jesus was willingly stepping out of heaven. There's one thing to send someone to do something and he doesn't want to do it. Well, Jesus, go. you're the Logos word. Go get a body. Go die for them. Come back because they're the evil people. Well, you can look at it this way. We have a problem here. Sin's reigning. Adam failed. The first Adam, the first son, the one I created, I put my spirit in, failed. He lost the keys to the kingdom. Now all his children are getting cursed with the curse of sin, rebellion. Jesus says, give me a body, I'll go. Wow. Give me a body, I'll go. And he went. He said, and look what he says. He wasn't afraid to tell the Father, I had glory with you before. I've completed the work you've sent me to do. He has now glorified me in your presence before the world began. You know why he said that? Wasn't that you owe me, God? You know what he was saying? Because you and I are going to end up sharing with that glory. He was teaching us that the Father's blessing is ready for you. He was showing us that what I have, you have. All that I have is yours. Jesus said, all that I have is yours. And if you need, if you, if you, you know what? If you don't know him as Father, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, comes to the Father except through me please misunderstand that if you can please change that if you can please add to that if you can you cannot add to that because I am the way where are we going how do I get there well the way is to the Father the only way you get there is through truth and I'm the truth to the Father to get to the Father and you only have life through me because the Father gives me life and I give it to you so tonight Who is God in your life? Who is God? I'm asking a serious question here. Because he gave us a name above every name. He says his name, he gave it to us. Because he birthed us. Can I say this to you? You have to get your eyes off you. The greatest obstacle of your salvation is you. Me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I deserve. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know where they took me. I understand. But the Bible says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow. It's not the real thing. You know, sometimes I've looked back at my problems over 21 years. I've looked back and in the midst of that problem, it was a valley of death. But when I look back, it was only just a shadow. It wasn't. In the moment, it was so hard. It was so hard. But when I walk through with Jesus, guess what? I look back and I think, wow, Lord, you took me from there to here. And he can take you from any disaster and take you to his house and put his life in you and lift you up. You don't have to stay where you are. Please, the greatest lie of the devil is you can't can't get through. No, you can get through because he's conquered it for you. He's made a way. He's made a path. And he prepares a table in the presence of your enemy. What that speaks of? Communion. Again, 
breaking bread, having communion in the bread. All chaos is happening and we're breaking bread because Jesus has won the victory. Amen. Jesus has won the victory. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a round of applause. Give him a clap. Thank him. Thank him. My whole core message of my whole life is the Father. It's the Father's love. It took me a long time to get it. Because I understood Jesus as Savior. I understood the Holy Spirit touched my life. But you know, this Father thing, it broke me because my relationships, what I saw, all the lies, the hypocrisy of a Father. But everyone longs for a Father. because Everyone longs to be called to be loved. And when God broke my heart and put His heart in me, changed my life forever. I, I could have went to heaven and been saved and, and when I died, but I wouldn't have known the Father like I know Him today. You must know Him like you know today. You must. He's, Jesus, home. you know, I heard this statement the other day. He says, if you ask Jesus, what's your core message? He says, the Father. You go to the Father, what's the core message? Because it's the Son. They just talk about each other. What is the Holy Spirit's job? To reveal Jesus in you, to take you to the Father. Wow. No one's here to, no one's trying to edify themselves higher. They're co-equal, co-right. The triune God. But guess what? It lives inside you. Hallelujah. What do you got to fear? Death has no sting. Jesus took on death and won. There is no death with us. To be absent in the body is to be present with Him. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank You tonight that every word spoken tonight would penetrate our spirit that would heal our souls. That would fill us with our souls with your love. Lord, open our minds to understand the words that you speak. Father, I break insecurity, fear, anxiety, loneliness, depression. They're all traits of the flesh. They're valid, Lord. But you heal all our diseases, all our sickness. And by your stripes, we are healed. I thank you for the love of the Father. Let your wind of your fresh, of your breath flow. That our spirit can, can know. Our spirit testifies to the goodness of God. He's so good. He's a good, good Father. Yes, He's an almighty creator, sovereign God. We bow our knee before you. No one can stand in the presence of an almighty God. But you know, He chooses to reveal Himself as Father. He is the Father of lights. So Lord, I thank You for tonight. For anyone who does not know the Father. You've heard about Him. You've heard about religion. You might have said a prayer once or twice. But you do not know Him the way I've explained Him today. It can only be found through the Son. Jesus shed His blood on the cross. He was crying out in the garden, Abba, if there's another way, please tell me. But if not, not my will, but you will be done. He says, take this cup from me. I'm about to drink the wrath of God. But is there another way? He says, Abba. You know the word Abba means? We, we reduce it to Daddy. And it does. It means an intimate word. But it also means that I will obey. Abba, you birthed me. You created me and I will obey anything you ask. Abba. See, you only die for something that's of value. You only die if something that's worthwhile. And Jesus thought it was worthwhile to die for us 
2,000 years ago. He went to the cross. Even if only one person received, it was worth it. But those who have received him, who are called by his names, he gave them the right to be called sons of God. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Don't walk out here as orphans because you are not an orphan. He loves you. Your sin cannot separate you from God. Even a father figure in your life that's abused you or left you or hasn't done the right thing for you does not take away your valid, your, 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 your authenticity in God. Man cannot separate you from the love of God. Sin cannot separate you from the love of God. He loves you unconditionally, but sin can stop you from going to God. So today is the day of your salvation. And I pray, Father, that every person that's hearing the sound of my voice, their spirit would know, they would understand when they look in the mirror, they know the Father loves them. What manner of love is this? That you send your Son for us. What manner of love is this? I pray the Father's love upon every person this Father's Day. And I don't care how good your Father is, nothing compares to Father God. <laughs> we can, if I can explain the love of God, then it's not worthy to be explained. How can I explain the love of God? But He pour it out in your spirit. He will change you from the inside out. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We love your presence here today. We love your presence here today. Please close your eyes. Just lift your hands up and just in your own little world. Don't worry about anyone around you. Just receive from God. There has been so much emphasis on the man of God. But you know what? I want you to see the son of God. Receive him now. Right side. God's blowing into people's spirits right now. He's touching your life. You need to go from formula to relationship. You need to go from fear to faith. You need to go from unworthiness to being worthy. You need to go from slave to sons and daughters. He loves you tonight. He loves you tonight. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Reach out and touch. Touch His Spirit right now. Open up your heart to receive. He says, I'll pour my spirit on men and women in the last days. We are in the last days. Some people need to stop playing around and start coming serious with God. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Some people need to put that sickness that keeps coming and put it on the cross. they get recurring issues like it seems like you go around the mountain every time every time you get ahead you come back put that on the cross just nail it just see yourself nailing it to the cross those with a broken heart right here tonight let him fill that heart right now in Jesus name he loves you he loves you he loves you Glory to your name. 
glory to your name. We thank you, Father. Thank you. This is a loving Father that He gives us all things, not because we're good, because He's good. He loves you just the way you are. But a loving Father will never keep you the way you are. I'll give Him all the glory here tonight. I thank you, Father. This is your meeting. Holy Spirit, have your way. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. For you are holy. You are holy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. presence here is so it's delicate so if you need to go you're excused if you need to get your kids if you need prayer please don't come up there's an anointing here that God this is sacred right now hallelujah praise you Jesus some, some work that the Holy Spirit does sometimes is between you and him to be honest that's the greatest work when he does the work between you and him thank you father oh hallelujah hallelujah Drink from the world that never runs dry. Come against the spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. I break that spirit off that person right now. The devil's a liar. The spirit of death, leave. In Jesus' name. The spirit of heaviness, leave. In Jesus' name. 